You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Good morning, everyone. Please open your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 18, if you would. Happy Father's Day uh, to you dads out there again. Uh, May you be encouraged and honored by your children on this this day. Uh, Today we're going to be continuing our sermon series that we've entitled Vanished. And it's inspired by this acclaimed short film called Vanished that we watched last week. And just to briefly recap, it's the story of a man named Jack. And Jack literally sees his life vanishing before his eyes. He comes home from work one day, and he finds that the TV remote has disappeared. That's happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to you. He finds that the car keys just disappear before his eyes, and then his wallet disappears. And then he goes up the stairs, and bizarrely, his children disappear before his eyes. And then his wife, who's upset with him, very upset with him, disappears, and everything begins to disappear. Jack himself begins to disappear and vanish as the life that he built for himself crumbles. And Jack was losing everything that was dear to him because he had tried in vain to hide the sin of adultery. And he only learned later that his wife, his kids, um, even Jesus knew everything that he had done. And it's only when Jack took responsibility for his sin and he confessed it and he reached out for help that he actually got the chance to get his wife back. Jesus gave Jack another chance. And last week, Stephen Ricci spoke to us about the consequences of not coming clean with our sin. And when it comes to sin, we have to have the courage to admit it, to confess it, and then to walk away from it. And if you were here last week, you remember the video footage that Steve showed at the end of the prison inmate who literally just walked out of jail, put put a jacket on, just walked right by the security guard and walked out of prison. We too can walk out of the prison that Satan holds us in, which is the prison of sin and the fear of of confessing that sin. So today we're going to shift our focus away from Jack in the movie, and we're going to focus on something that Jack's wife, Abigail, and his two children most likely had to deal with, they did have to deal with, which is the topic of forgiveness. And we're going to be looking primarily at a parable of Jesus in Matthew chapter 18. So if you open up Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. Through 35, it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could repay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went to told their master everything that had happened. 
Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. That is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So in this account, we see Peter coming to Jesus with a really good question, which is, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Fair question. Keep in mind, Peter was Jewish, and the Jewish leaders at the time taught that you only had to forgive somebody up to four times, but after that, you didn't have to forgive them anymore. It was like the four strikes rule. Four strikes, you're out. And that actually came from the Old Testament book of Amos, where God relented three times against the enemies of Israel and then brought justice on them. Peter was apparently figuring out that forgiving was important to Jesus. So coming from his kind of four strikes background, he probably thought he was being gracious when he suggested, hey, how about a seven strike rule instead of four strikes? But Jesus said to Peter, no, it's more like 77 strikes. In other words, you should not put a limit on how many times that you forgive someone or set boundaries around your forgiveness. And then Jesus, in his typical fashion, uses this powerful story to really bring his point home. And he tells of this king who's ready to settle accounts with, with his servants. And that meant it was time for all of his servants to pay back everything that they owed him. And there was one servant who owed this king a huge amount of money, 10,000 bags of gold. Some, some uh, translations of the Bible call it talents, 10,000 talents of gold. That was an enormous amount of money in Jesus' day. Just for perspective, the total revenue that was collected by the Romans from the province of Judea and the surrounding provinces was about 900 talents of gold in a year. This guy owed 10,000 talents. So he owed 11 years of tax revenue from four Roman provinces, which is pretty crazy. It's a lot of money. Another way to think about it is that Solomon, when he built the temple, the Lord's temple in Jerusalem, he used 8,000 talents of gold. This guy owed 10,000 talents. So he owed more gold than was even found in the temple. And there was a lot of gold in the temple. There was simply no way that this servant could ever pay back that much money. And in those days, if you couldn't pay off a debt... Everything you owned would be sold to offset the debt. And that included your family members who'd be sold as slaves to repay the debt. And if that wasn't enough, you could still be thrown in debtor's prison until you could pay it back. I don't quite understand how you would pay back if you're in prison, but that's what they did. But this king showed amazing mercy. You know, he was moved by the servant as he begged for more time to, to, pay, to, to you know, pay him back. And not only did the king relent, but he did something totally unthinkable. He forgave the debt entirely. This king gave incredible, lavish mercy. And just imagine, put, think of it through the eyes of this servant for a minute. I mean, you literally owe this king a billion dollars in today's money. And you realize that you're going to lose everything. Your wife, your kids, everything's going to be sold as slaves. Uh, and anything you own is going to be sold. But then the king says, you're off the hook. I forgive the debt. How would you feel at that moment? Did you feel relieved? <laughs> Do you feel grateful? Do you feel motivated to maybe go out and pay it forward? Well, that's why it's so shocking to see that almost the very same day, this servant goes out and finds a guy who owes him 100 denarii. Now, 100 denarii, 107 silver coins, as it says here, was about $1,000 in today's money. So it wasn't insignificant, but relative to what he had been forgiven of, it was nothing, $1,000. And because the guy can't pay him back, he chokes him and has him thrown into prison until he can pay. Wait, what? He had him thrown into prison? 
And this dude was just forgiven of a billion dollar debt, and then he runs and chokes a guy for a thousand bucks. It's pretty heartless, isn't it? The servant was clearly struggling with forgiveness. And it apparently hadn't sunk in that he'd been forgiven of so much, and his fellow servants were just outraged by his behavior. So they went and told the king. You know, it's easy for us to be outraged by his behavior, but have you ever had a hard time forgiving someone? You know, have you ever withheld forgiveness from someone who's hurt you? You know, notice the reaction and just the emotion of the king when he learns of the servant's lack of mercy. He's angry. And, and he calls the servant wicked. And the servant just doesn't get jail time. He gets jail time with torture until he could pay back all that he owed. And you've probably realized by now that the king represents God in the parable. And Jesus is telling us through this story that we have a merciful king, a forgiving king. That's, forgiveness is very important to him. And there are severe consequences when we do not forgive. So the title of my sermon today is simply Forgiveness. And we're going to be talking about, in typical fashion, three things. We'll talk about, first of all, what it means to be forgiven. Are you forgiven? Number two, we'll talk about, are you forgiving? And we'll talk about what can hold us back from extending forgiveness to others. And then finally, we'll talk about anger management. Not the movie, The Anger Management, but we'll talk about how to manage that emotion of anger. And we'll talk about what forgiveness is not. So why don't we go ahead and say a prayer as we get started here today. Father, we just pray today that as we look at this scripture in more depth and we look at some other scriptures, God, that you really speak to us. Uh, We know, Father, that forgiveness is absolutely critical. And it was so important that you sent your son to die for us, as Matt talked about today, God. So I just really pray that you'll give us insights into what you want us to take away. Uh, If we're struggling with forgiveness in any way, God, I pray that we can come clean with that, that we can uh, can really learn to forgive as you forgive us, Father. And just help us to come away strengthened and encouraged from what we're going to look at today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So are you forgiven? You know, it's as sobering as this parable is, you know, it is greatly encouraging that Jesus speaks of this king who is merciful and who forgives our debts. And the king doesn't just forgive little debts. He forgets huge debts, you know, at great cost to himself. And think about that. Do you know any worldly kings today that would walk away from 11 years of tax revenue? (laughs) I'm not aware of anybody in our current political system that would do that. But it's great news, right? It's great news that we have a kingdom in heaven who is a king in heaven who is just, he's amazingly generous and he's merciful with you and with me. How many parents do we have in the house? I know we have a lot of dads. Raise your hand if you're a parent. So a lot of you. Okay, a lot of of your parents. I have two little ankle biters at home myself, ages 12 and 7. Love them to death. Two little boys, Andy and Ethan. They're fixtures out in front of the, the auditorium there. And I love them so much, right? Just as you love your kids. But how do you feel about someone who hurts your kids? I love teachers. I do. I love teachers. How many of you are teachers? I know we have some teachers in the house. I commend you for what you do. That's a very noble profession. I know it's hard work. And I know I have great respect for teachers and what they do because they lay down their lives and they can have a lifelong impact on our kids. So I really do tend to give teachers the benefit of the doubt. I do. But there was one teacher once that really rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, because my son Andy, you know, had this teacher in the fifth grade who was psycho about homework. I don't know what was wrong with this woman, but she regularly gave the kids two to three hours of homework a night in the fifth grade. Seriously? Do you you remember having two hours of homework in fifth grade? I don't. Maybe the whole year, but two hours every night. So eventually the time came for me and I to have our regularly scheduled parent-teacher conference with this teacher, right? 15 minutes of glory. And at at the conference... 
she proceeded to tell us everything that Andy was doing wrong and everything that he wasn't doing right and everything that he needed to do better in. And, you know, that's okay. As parents, we need to know those things. You know, we need to know how we can help our kids get better. So that wasn't the problem. But what surprised me is that at minute 14, she was escorting us towards the door. It was over. She was done. And she spent the last minute talking to us about how awesome her kids were and how successful they'd been in her life. I'm like, really? Why don't you just rub Tabasco sauce in my wounds here? You know, I just, I mean, it's a good thing I'm a Christian. I don't know what I would have said to this woman or done to her. But, you know, there's, there was just this, this almost, there's a difference between constructive criticism, which I like, I appreciate, and contempt. And this woman seemed to be showing contempt for my son. And if anybody shows contempt towards my kids, they're showing contempt towards me as a parent. And God's a parent too. God's a parent too. You think we have strong emotions? How do you think God feels about his kid? And you may or may not realize it, but, but you have hurt God deeply. How did I hurt God, you ask? Well, if you've ever shown contempt or if you've hurt any of his children, you've hurt God himself. So what will you say to the king when he comes to settle accounts with you? Because he will come. And just like the servant in, this, in the parable, you could beg God, please give me more time to pay back my debt. Or like Jack, you remember in the Vanishing movie, he wouldn't take responsibility for us. He's just giving me more time. But God doesn't just say you have more time. What does he do? He knows that you can never make amends with him on your own. You can never do it. You can never pay him back. It's impossible for you to settle accounts with God. You simply owe him too much. So like the king who Jesus speaks of, God offers you mercy and he forgives your debt at great cost to himself. You see, the price God paid to forgive you was his, to give up his only son. And he gave up his son to be tortured and to be killed for your sins once and for all. And after Jesus died on the cross, after he died on the cross and he rose again and he returned to heaven, his followers in Jerusalem began to tell everyone the good news about Jesus. They began to preach about Jesus and what he had done for people, the salvation that he was offering. And in Acts chapter 2, we see Peter standing up before this crowd in Jerusalem. And what he says, starting in verse 36, he says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and, Christ, and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So keep in mind, it wasn't these people that, Pe that Peter was speaking with in Jerusalem. It wasn't these people that had literally nailed Jesus to the cross. The Romans had done that in collaboration with the Jewish leaders. Yet Peter says these people crucified Jesus. Why does he say that? Because Peter's reminding them that it was their sin that had nailed Jesus to the cross. It was their sin that had killed Jesus. That's why Jesus went to the cross. And if Peter were here today, what would he tell you? What would he tell you? He would say that your sins nailed the Son of God to the cross. And then Peter then says, this Jesus whom you killed, by the way, is also your Lord. That means you will have to stand before him someday. And you will have to settle accounts with this king. 
And that explains why these Jews were cut to the heart. I mean, their sins had killed the Son of God. I'm sure there was alarm in their voice, probably even panic when they, when they asked, what shall we do? You know, how do we, how do we get right with God when we've killed the Son of God? And Peter's answer was simple. You turn from your sins, you repent, and you get baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and you will be forgiven. And the promise didn't just apply to those that were there in that crowd that day. The, the, the promise applied to all who were far off. And that includes you and me sitting in this auditorium today. You can be forgiven. And that, my friends, is the best news that you could ever receive. You can be right before God. Your debt can be forgiven. When you repent and get baptized, what God does is he stamps paid in full on that invoice in heaven in his son's blood. You are forgiven. The question becomes, are you forgiven? Like the crowd in Jerusalem, when they realized the size of their debt to God, I mean, you have, have you asked the question, what do I do? How do I get right with God? Have you taken the steps to, to really claim what God offers you? And if you want to claim his forgiveness, if you're not sure if you've gotten that forgiveness, please sit down with any member of our church. Sit down with us and we will show you in the Bible what Jesus means for you personally and how you can claim the incredible gift that he offers you. So are you forgiven? That's the first step. That's the first question you have to wrestle with. And then that leads me to the second question that I had posed, which is, are you forgiving? Are you forgiving? And we see in the parable that the king clearly expects forgiven sinners to pay it forward. And anything less he considers wicked. And Jesus doesn't mince words when it comes to his expectations around forgiveness. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, wait a minute. What are you saying here, Jesus? I'm not sure if it's clear. Are you saying I have to forgive? Are you telling me that, that I need to forgive my kids when they disrespect me? Okay, I can do that. I love them. The little stink bombs. Does that mean I need to forgive the person that, that, that cut me off on the freeway? Okay, they're horrible drivers, but I'll forgive them anyway. Does that mean I need to forgive my, my wife when she's rude to me and she disrespects me? Okay, I'll do it. Does that mean I need to forgive the person that borrowed money from me and didn't pay it back? Oh, that's getting harder, but it's just money. I can do that. Does that mean I need to forgive the person who abused me? Okay, Jesus, that's getting way too close to home. Not sure I can do that. After all, that person never apologized to me for what they did. Do we really have to forgive all offenses? Are there some things that are unforgivable? Well, notice that Jesus in this statement, he doesn't caveat what he means about forgiveness. He doesn't say that you're off the hook from forgiving in certain situations. You know, a king demands forgiveness. And, and it's not like God doesn't understand how hard it is. He doesn't like he doesn't understand how hard it is to forgive. In fact, our king even understands what it's like when you see your only child tortured and murdered right before your eyes. So this call to forgive isn't something that God just asks us to do that he's never experienced himself. You see, God created us and we're made in his image. And, and he knows that forgiveness is beneficial. It's not just beneficial, it's absolutely necessary. 
And it's funny because pop psychology today is beginning to confirm what God has known since the beginning of time, right? They're figuring out that, oh, maybe we should forgive. Research is showing us that forgiveness actually makes us happier. Pretty groundbreaking. With forgiveness, the psychologists say we can actually have relationships with other people. Because you know what? Other people are going to hurt you. And if you can't forgive, guess what? You're going to be isolated and alone, and that's not good, the psychologists tell us. If you're married, forgiveness will make your marriage stronger. Duh. Right? I praise God that me is able to forgive me for all the boneheaded things I've done over the years. You know, they say that forgiveness heals wounds. Forgiveness helps us emotionally. If it helps us spiritually, it can even help us physically. So the bottom line is that forgiveness isn't just good for the other person that you're forgiving. It's good for you as a person that's doing the forgiving. So if forgiveness is so important to our emotional and spiritual and physical well-being, why do we struggle with it sometimes? Why can it be so difficult to extend that forgiveness? What can get us off track? Well, I think Jesus tells us this parable about the forgiving king because you first have to understand who God really is. Before you can really forgive, you have to understand what God has done. And, and, and you have to be rooted in God's forgiveness before you can really forgive others from the heart. I believe that. And we need to have a powerful motivation to really forgive. I mean, and trying to, to will yourself to forgive others is not going to be very effective. Because Christians aren't the only people that promote forgiveness, are we? I mean, you look around the world, you think like many religions, many philosophies, Forgiveness is a core tenet of many religions today. You know, it's the moral thing to do in many cultures and many religions and many philosophies. And how's that working for them? I mean, we have so much hatred in our world today. We have so many deep grudges in our world. We have so many racial and tribal and religious wars that have been raging on for centuries. So how's forgiveness really working for people? It's only in Christianity that we find a God who died to forgive us, thereby giving us the model and also the motivation to really forgive others. As the Apostle John says, we can love because God first loved and forgave us. And that's why it'll be hard for you to forgive from the heart if you don't really understand the perfect model of forgiveness. You know, as I reflect on my own life and people I've known, I think we can really miss the mark when it comes to understanding God and his forgiveness. Um, just on my own life, I mean, I look at the first 25 years or so of my life before I became a disciple of Christ, I really wasn't even in touch with my need to be forgiven for many years. I didn't see where I really owed God much of anything. I was like that unmerciful servant who didn't really grasp the magnitude of my debt to the king. You know, I thought I was a pretty good person. Sure, I knew I wasn't perfect by any stretch, but as I looked around and compared myself to other people, I thought, oh, God's probably pretty happy with me. That's what I assumed. And I really didn't make the connection that, that, that I'm actually indebted to God and, and I need his forgiveness until some spiritual men from this church showed me in the Bible what sin is. And they helped me to show how my sin had hurt God and had hurt people. And my drunkenness, my sexual impurity, my, my selfishness, my idolatry, all of this behavior had left a trail of destruction, you know, with victims strewn everywhere, right up to the foot of the cross where Jesus himself paid the price for what I had done. And as the scales of pride began to fall off my eyes, I saw that my life and my relationships had been all about me. It was all about me. All that had really mattered to me was my own happiness, my own satisfaction. And when I was no longer getting that from the other person, I would typically you know, abandon the relationship, hurt the other person in the process. 
And I would also arrogantly look down on other people that had hurt me. You know, I would say, I'd never do that. I can't believe they did that. I would never do something like that. And I'd have these malicious thoughts like, that person should pay the price for what they did to me. They should suffer. I hope they suffer. And I could nurse a grudge with the, with the best of them. <laughs> but when I came face to face with Jesus and what he did for me, it's then that I finally understood forgiveness for the first time. And when I stepped off this pedestal of self-righteousness that I'd been standing on, God's forgiveness was sweet. And, and, and I just saw that forgiveness was a gift that I desperately needed, but I didn't deserve. And I had to receive true forgiveness before I could really extend true forgiveness to others. So, so maybe you're walking around like I once was. Maybe you th- you're thinking you're a pretty good person. Maybe you think that, that you're looking down, you know, other people that have hurt you. I can't believe they would do that. Listen carefully. You need to get in touch with the mercy of the king. Because if you haven't experienced the divine love and the, and the forgiveness of Jesus, what will motivate you when someone really wounds you? What will motivate you to forgive in those moments? What will motivate you to really love your enemies as Jesus asks us to do and to pray for those who persecute you? I mean, for me, it would be look, looking at a document in Cantonese and trying to tell you what it said. I don't speak Cantonese. I would be totally making it up. And true forgiveness without knowing Jesus will be like a foreign language. I mean, it's pride that will hold you back from knowing Jesus and seeing the need for forgiveness. On the other hand, even when you do come to an understanding of God's forgiveness, the sin of pride doesn't automatically go away. Uh, The pride that you may have once had of just assuming that you're right with God, even though you're not, that pride can then resurface in another form after you understand Jesus. I think it's worth noting, as I was studying this Matthew 18 scripture, it jumped out at me this week that these servants in Jesus' parable had the same initial reaction when they were confronted with their debt. And what was their first reaction? I'll pay you back. Just give me more time. I'll pay you back, God, Lord, King. And what's behind that reaction? I think it's pride. I'm good for it. I'll pay you back. I'm not a deadbeat. Just give me more time. I find it interesting that the servant in the parable never once asked the king to cancel the debt, did he? The king was merciful enough to know that the situation was hopeless, but the servant didn't actually ask for forgiveness. He asked for more time. He wanted to earn his forgiveness. The the servant thought that he could pay back a billion dollars with more time. It didn't even occur to him to humble himself and just ask for mercy. And again, are we so different than that servant? I mean, God paid our debt on the cross, but we find that we don't stop racking up sin after we become disciples, do we? You know, we we continue to sin. And when we're confronted with our burgeoning sin, our first response can be what? I'll try harder. I'll do more. I'll pay you back, God. I'll earn your forgiveness. I'll be a better person. Just give me more time. Or you may even say, you know, God, I'm just unforgivable. But there's even pride in that statement as well. Because you may be thinking, I need to be a better person before I really deserve forgiveness. You know, there's a word for this, and it's called legalism. I'll follow the rules, and then God will be happy with me. And when you're stuck in this trap of legalism, you will lose touch with the gift of forgiveness. And while you're pridefully working for your forgiveness, what do you think you're going to expect from other people? You'll expect them to earn your forgiveness. 
You may even find yourself thinking, I can't believe what that person did to me. Are they really a Christian? That person, they're going to have to change before I'd even consider forgiving them. And I hope they get what they deserve. I mean, again, are you stuck in this trap of legalism? Do you feel like your behavior can earn God's favor? Because true forgiveness will not come easily if you're overly focused on how well you're following all the rules. And if you're trying to earn God's forgiveness, you'll expect others to earn your forgiveness. The problem is, is that you're putting forgiveness, on, you're putting conditions on your forgiveness is what you're doing. And, and people who hurt you will have to perform to your standards before you bless them with your pardon. And remember, Jesus does not put any caveats on who we need to forgive. Seventy-seven times is what he said. So accept Jesus' gift of forgiveness and stop thinking you can pay God back for what he gave you. And then you'll be ready to give the gift of forgiveness to those who hurt you without expecting them to pay for your forgiveness. And you may be saying, well, fine, Mark. Jesus may have said 77 times, but I still think what that person did to me is unforgivable. I still feel so much anger towards that person because they never even told me they're sorry. How can I forgive them? I can only forgive them if they change and if they apologize. Well, let's talk, lastly, about anger management. (laughs) Ephesians 4.26 says in the New American Standard Bible, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Let me submit to you that, that, that forgiving does not mean that you cannot be angry. Forgiving does not mean that you cannot be angry. That's not what forgiveness means. I think we can be scared of the emotion of, of anger. Because I know I can. Because I know that anger can lead to sin if it's not managed properly. But an emotion is not sin just because you feel it. You know, emotions are not inherently evil in and of themselves. It's how we respond to emotions that can be sinful. And the Bible tells you here in Ephesians 4.26, be angry. Yes, it's okay. Be angry. Anger is simply a desire to confront and destroy something that is wrong. It's a desire to confront and destroy something that is wrong. And anger is actually a godly emotion. It's good to confront and destroy something that's wrong or unjust. In fact, I would say it's evil not to confront an injustice when you see it. God himself is angry when he sees sin and he sees injustice in the world. Think about Jesus. Think about Jesus' anger, overturning the tables of the money changers who were defiling the temple. He was, he was angry. He was indignant with the Pharisees who had warped the Sabbath rules into this unbearable burden for the Jews. He was angry. And when what we see is that God is angry, but in his anger, he attacks the behavior, not the person. And that's a very important difference. God hates sin, but the Bible tells us that he does not want any sinner to be lost. So he attacks the sinner. That's why he attacks the sin, not the sinner. I mean, that's why he sent his son to die for us. So we're made in God's image. We too are going to feel anger when we see something evil or something wrong, either committed against us or, 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 or against someone else. I mean, who can see what happened in Orlando and not feel anger? Who can see Christians burning alive and not feel indignant? I mean, who can, who can be abused by someone and not feel angry towards that person? The key is how do we respond to that anger? 
And it's interesting how people respond to their anger. So often we do attack the sinner, not the sin. I was just reflecting. Remember back in 2001 when, when you know, 9-11 happened? Um, pretty soon I started seeing all these bumper stickers on people's cars with Osama bin Laden's face on it, and it had a target over his face. Remember that? I want you, bin Laden. And we can do that in our minds with people that hurt us. We create that bumper sticker in our mind with somebody's face and the target over the top of it. We want to attack them, right? And we feel justified sometimes in attacking the sinner. Ephesians 4.31 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. So the Bible tells us in these two scriptures, there's two things we should not do in our anger. Number one, we should not hold our anger inside. If you let the sun go down while you're still angry, you will give the devil a foothold. You will. Remember, anger wants to destroy something. And if you hold anger inside, what is that anger going to destroy? It's going to destroy you. It's going to destroy you on the inside. And I've learned that the hard way because my personal tendency is to hold anger inside. And when I do that, the only person that gets hurt in the long run is me. Because that anger that I hold inside, it it rots, it ferments, and it turns into something much more sinister, malicious, bitterness, rage. So we shouldn't hold anger inside. The second thing, according to Ephesians 4.31, is we shouldn't allow our anger to turn into malice. You know, malice is a desire to inflict harm or suffering on someone else. We shouldn't allow our anger to attack the person rather than the sin. So if anger shouldn't be bottled up, and if it shouldn't be allowed to explode and, and you know, destroy people with shrapnel all around us, what do we do with our anger? What do we do with this emotion? Well, God gives us the perfect example. He directs his anger towards the sin, not the sinner. The destructive force is directed at the behavior, not the person. And I think herein lies a key to understanding forgiveness. Forgiveness does not mean that you cannot be angry. Forgiveness also doesn't mean that you should just accept sinful behavior and allow it to happen. But instead, we should direct our anger towards the sin, not the sinner themselves. And forgiveness also does not mean, when we're talking about forgiveness doesn't mean, another thing that forgiveness does not mean is that you're going, it doesn't mean that you're going to see justice. You know, God's anger with, with our sin spurred him to take action. He sent his son to intervene and to take the punishment for us. But was that justice... Think about it. Was that really justice? I mean, if you were a parent and you saw your innocent son being executed in the place of a hardened criminal, would you feel like justice was being served? God didn't demand justice in order to forgive you. He forgave you even though you killed his son, which was the most unjust of all human actions. He forgave us and he allowed us to escape justice. So God gave you the model to follow. You should forgive without expecting justice. Leave justice to God. Forgiveness doesn't also mean that you will change the other person. I mean, what amazes me about Jesus is that he came to die for us without a guarantee that we would change. He still went to the cross, even though he wasn't 100% sure we were going to change. God expects repentance, and he doesn't accept sinful behavior But he forgives you even though you are still sinful. So you too need to forgive the person, even if if that person doesn't change the way that you want them to change. You still need to forgive them. Said differently, forgiveness is about your attitude. 
It's not about the other person's action. Forgiveness is about your attitude, not the other person's action. Forgiveness does also, also does not mean that you need to forget. <laughs> I mean, even when you've forgiven someone, it's normal for memories to be triggered sometimes of what's happened to us. And in, the, in those moments, it's just good to remember that we have a God who keeps no record of wrongs. I mean, one of my favorite scriptures is in Psalm 103, where, where it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has God separated your sin from you. So you may remember the hurt that someone's caused you, but in those moments, remember that God has removed your sin from you. And again, painful memories may be there, but they don't need to hold you back from forgiving. And then finally, forgiving is not the same as healing. For, you know, healing can take time. Wounds can take time to heal. Some wounds may never heal. But, but, but forgiveness is a point-in-time decision. Forgiveness can happen even while the wounds and the pain are still there. I'm going to share with you and close out here with a video. It's about a 10-minute video. And it's a really powerful testimony about the power of forgiveness. And then we'll wrap it up. I'm Zach Fazio, one of the producers of Vanishing. Last week, we saw the destructive power of hidden sin and the importance of openness in getting help. We focused on Jack and his decision to confess and repent. Please. I need your help. This week, our focus shifts to forgiveness. How do I forgive others when they sin against me? We sat down with Paquita Franti, and she shared her amazing story with us. So why don't, why don't we start? Tell me about your daughter. What was she like? She was very happy. She was very competitive. competitive. And, um, but she was, she has a very soft heart. She just loved her kids and, um, yeah, she was very loving. Well, I want to take you back a week before the event. What happened that week that was significant to you? She told me that she, um, she has some conversation with some people that been, they hurt her, her hurt her, you know, and she said, mom, after I talk to them and I forgive them, I because they hurt me so much, I forgave them. I feel like I am, I'm happy now. I feel that I have that connection with God. She started showing me all these things and I didn't, I didn't understand why she was showing me all these books with poems and, and I'm like, I don't understand. You know, there was some poem that she used to write to God when she was hurt, she was hurting. She, she, that was her way to express her feelings through poems. So she gave me a big hug and you know, and she gave me a little, a little gift that was a little cross, and um, so that was it. I, you know, I then about uh, three days later, uh, I got a call. I was at work, and it told me that she was she was hurt, and um, so I went to that to the to the her job and. They told me that, the police told me that she was murdered. She was, she was shot. 
uh, she, in that time she had a boyfriend and she was, he was a very jealous man and very possessive and because she broke up with him she, he, was, uh, he was very angry and, um, and he shot her so um, so when I heard that the only thing I did I just got I just cry and cry and cry and the only thing I say was oh my god about I cried for a long 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 time and the only thing I used to say oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god and it was almost like a supplication to God to help me to go through this you know that was just that's all I said for a long 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 time I don't know for how long I can only imagine just the array of emotion that you might have felt after hearing news like this. Were you ever tempted to just feel angry and hurt and I was there was I was in shock. For for a few days I was in shock. I could not believe that happened. That happened. And and we used to talk to each other almost every day. Like every day you can say like three four times a day you know how she was doing how I was doing at work you know and that not being able to call her that was very hard and uh, I just feel like I wanted to call her but then I remember that she was gone and I'm like I had to remember that and I wake up in the morning of the night just saying I want to call her I want to see her and I remember one time my kids were talking about it and they were all, I could feel all this hate, talking bad and terrible. And, and I was just very quiet and listened to them. And I say, stop, please stop. And I start crying. I say, please stop. I says, don't do that. Please don't, don't fool your heart with hate. It is just going to make you very unhappy. You don't want to have this in your heart. And then I was fighting the same thing. I was fighting about not hating him, you know? And that was, I think, one of, that was the one of the most hardest things to do. Not to let my heart, not allow my heart to hate him. And it was hard. But every time I felt like that, it was so many times, I just get to my knees and pray. Please, God, don't, don't make me feel like this. Take that away from me. What did you feel when you first saw him after the event had happened? Honestly, I was feeling sorry for him. I don't, I don't understand why I feel this way, and it's all God because God soft my heart, and I'm like, this is the man that that killed your daughter. Why, why are you doing? You're not hating him, but I just, I just didn't. I was afraid when I saw him that I was gonna. I don't know how I was gonna react. I thank God because He protected my heart from that ugliness of hate. And, uh, and I honestly tell you the truth, I forgave him. And it's nothing, nothing that I did, it was God. It's all the glory to God. How were you able to forgive him? I felt that way. God, you put me this, in this situation, and it was hard, it's hard, but with your, with your help, with your love, you can help me go through this. And I truly, truly in my heart believe that he been through, I mean, he's, all the things that I've been going through, he's been in my side always.
and and that um, experience that I had with Aileen, um, it brought me closer to him. What do you feel like was the biggest thing you learned just going through all of this? Uh, surrender. I had to surrender and and trust him that he's doing he's doing he's allowed things happen for a reason and you know there's times that you know Satan gets in in our ways and um, and he wants to do he want to keep you away from him that's what he wants to do you know he want to keep us away from God and and the more the, the worst time in your life is where you need to hold on to God going through something like this there were probably moments when you felt so confused did do you feel like what you went through did it damage your relationship with God at all uh, I have some sometimes I was I never asked him why never did but no I, I really my my relationship with God never changed you know I trusted him because he was my only hope I think I was more focusing crying out for his help to not allow me to hate and I think that's where uh, uh, yeah I, I, I hold on to, to him more you were desperate for him. I was desperately for his help because I couldn't do it without him and you feel like he answered her absolutely absolutely what would you tell someone who feels like they don't have the strength to forgive get on your knees get on your knees and pray and cry out to God that is he is the only one who can help you to go through those hard times and uh, and when you are alone there's gonna be times that you want to be alone uh, talk to somebody because it's the best way for you to heal is when you talk to somebody and uh, be around disciples and, and don't let that ugliness creep in your heart. Pekita, thank you so much for having the courage to share your story. Thank you for God and all the glory for him. So, such a powerful story and an example of the power of forgiveness. And if you didn't surmise that Paquita, Paquita was, uh, she is a member of our church, of our churches down in, um, in Texas. And, and she could have allowed her anger to consume her, you know, and to consume those who had hurt her. But she's just such a great witness that, that you do not have to be defined by the injustice that you've suffered. So, so as we wrap it up, let me just ask a few questions. The first question is, are you forgiven? Do you really understand or do you remember what Jesus has done for you? That's the prerequisite. That's the prerequisite to really being able to truly forgive others from the heart. Second question is, are you forgiving? You know, are you letting your pride get in the way of Forgiven, being forgiven, number one, and forgiving others, because that's what can happen. Number three, what are you doing with your anger? You know, when you're hurt by others, what are you going to do with that anger? Will you bottle it up 
and let it destroy you on the inside? Will you let it explode and, and harm people around you? Or like God, will you direct your anger towards the sin, not the sinner? And then finally, last question. Are you making your forgiveness dependent or contingent on anything? I mean, are you making your forgiveness contingent upon seeing justice? Or are you, are you making your forgiveness dependent upon seeing someone else change before you'll forgive them? Are you waiting until you're healed personally to forgive someone? Uh, I mean, like God, will you just, you know, <laughs> not make your forgiveness contingent on anything? And, and, and certainly not on your performance. So please go away today on Father's Day with, with the image of God. Think about God the Father. And he watched his only child be tortured and, and murdered. And try to see that horrible spectacle from the father's perspective. You know, the, the whole time your child is begging, Daddy, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them, Daddy. If you were the father, would you honor your child's wishes? Would you forgive the murderers? That's what our father in heaven did. And the son's blood is on your hands but the Father's forgiveness is available to you. So the question is, will you claim that forgiveness and will you pay it forward? Thank you. Happy Father's Day. God bless you all. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us. 